The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. First, a little housekeeping. We have some NERA events upcoming I want to tell you about. We at Keystone are very excited to participate in NERA's annual conference this fall on September 26th through 28th in Falmouth, Mass. Some exciting speakers. Don't miss it. Make sure to register for the conference soon. And there's another NERA event I want to tell you about, which is next week on August 1st. A new group, NERA YP, NERA Young Professionals, is having a networking event hosted at Winter Wyman in Waltham at 6 p.m. So look at NERA.com for both of those events and register. And if you're looking to find out more about NERA YP, there's information there and also in this podcast today. In fact, my guest today is a NERA board member and the board liaison to the NERA YP group, Scarlett Abraham. She's also Director of Human Resources at Bright Horizons. Early in the podcast, Scarlett shares the story of how she and her family immigrated to the U.S. when she was nine years old and not one of them knowing English, and how her early life experience shaped her as a person of great empathy. As you get to know Scarlett in this episode, it'll be no surprise to you why she's so proud of Bright Horizons' heart principles, which are their core values. Scarlett is a powerful ambassador of the heart principles at Bright Horizons. Next up on the podcast is the CEO of Easy Cater, Stefania Millette. And now I bring you my conversation with Scarlett Abraham. Well, here we are at Brighton Horizons Watertown headquarters. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on the Hennessy Report. Thank you for having me. You and I got to know each other recently as we both joined the board of NERA recently, which is uh, very exciting. And, um, but before we get into Bright Horizons and NERA, maybe it'd be good for our listeners to get a little bit of your background and maybe um, an experience or an influence early in your life that kind of pointed you in the direction that you are heading now in HR leadership. First of all, thank you again for having me. I'm really thrilled to be doing this podcast and have the opportunity to speak not only about myself, but about Bright Horizons. And as you've mentioned, a little bit around the young professionals later on. But I, gosh, where do I start? So I am a daughter of immigrants, and we migrated to the U.S. when I was nine years old. And from a very young age, my mom and my dad always taught us to be respectful and to be sensitive, particularly the people that were different and that you know lived a little bit different than we did. So it was something that was ingrained in me, but thankfully it was also something that came very naturally. So from a very young age, when I attended um, school in the Dominican Republic, I often gravitated to helping, if you will, those children in school that were in fact just a little bit different than children that were typically picked on. And I found myself you know, advocating and you know, really coming to their defense. Um, and thankfully, I've always been able to sort of interact with everyone at every level so that tends to help me be a little bit of an influencer if you will for these children that were not being so nice so it's something that I took upon myself to do and and you know it's interesting because my mother would say oh you were helping such and such again or you got in trouble because you were helping such and such again and she would say you have to balance that you know you have to do it in a way that you're not getting yourself in trouble as well but it was hard it was hard for me not to do that and it's interesting because when we came to the United States I sort of found myself 
almost on the other side of that, you know, so being nine years old, not speaking the language, not really understanding the culture very well. So I became one of those children that could easily be picked on because you, I was you different. Didn't, you didn't um, speak English when no. you, before you moved here? No. Oh, okay. No, wow. no English whatsoever. Wow. So, you know, and we came in the States in February. So it was sort of the beginning, we were in the middle of the school year. So I sort of joined late as well. So didn't have an opportunity to acclimate myself with a lot of the fifth graders that was there. And just being different, you could, I could tell at that point, and it was probably the first time in my life where I felt different, you know, than the other children around. And I think, unfortunately for me, I didn't necessarily have somebody advocating for me as I did for those other children. But I think that what it helped me do was to build a lot of resilience and to recognize sort of what my differences were. So it's almost like someone holding a mirror to my face. And this was the, you know, early 90s. The world was a little bit different around that time as well. But, you know, after learning the language, you know, and after sort of being in the school system a little bit longer, there's definitely that confidence that comes back to you. So I quickly bounced from that and quickly mm. became again yet an advocate for the children that, <laughs> you know, that were different here. And I bring that story up because I think that it was the first time, even though I was defending and advocating for people that were different back in the DR, I didn't know that that's what I was doing. Mm. So it took me sort of being on the other side of that and being treated slightly different to understand mm. that that's in fact what I was doing. And as a young child, I was quickly tasked to learn the language as fast as I possibly could because being the daughter of immigrants and being the oldest, I really had to be responsible for now translating for my parents. So when you think about coming to the States and the different things that you have to navigate, doctors, immigration, schools, here's this nine-year-old that was now sort of the translator. I put up a really good front, but you know, I was, I, I, I tend to say I grew up a little bit quicker than yeah. I, I probably, or we would probably want, you know, now being a mom myself and having children. But, you know, it certainly was those experiences that I think shaped a lot of who I am mm -hmm. today. And, you know, as I said, I didn't know necessarily what was happening as far as being treated differently or being an advocate for people that were tr treated differently. But I gravitated to those types of jobs mm. as I started working in the right. field. So working in the early childhood education, working with children with behavioral and cognitive issues, and you know, really doing that all through college, mm. quite frankly. And you know, I, I also went to college for a degree in psychology mm. and thought to myself, I'm going to be a developmental psychologist and I'm gonna have my own practice. You know, and I found that working in this industry, it was really challenging and, and certainly takes an emotional toll on you. And I was passionate about it, nevertheless, because I was advocating in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. So I was supporting these individuals. I was working with insurance offices. I was working with, you know, different pathways or different um, organizations that were eventually going to help these children land jobs and, and help them live a normal life. But I was also working with staff and really had an input on growth and development for the staff as well. So when I became a little bit emotionally drained working directly with the children, I thought, holy smokes, what am I going to do now with this <laughs> developmental psychology degree? Because I don't think that I want to stay in this field forever. And I remember, you know, sitting with my advisor and talking this through, you know, as I was getting ready to graduate, like, do I just Google? What do I do with a developmental psychology degree? And we're sort of brainstorming. And simultaneously to that conversation with my advisor, I had been, or actually I wish I had been, more part of a situation that had been happening with one employee at that time. 
And, you know, specifically, it was an employee that, you know, I felt had a lot of potential. It was an employee that I had helped on board and helped coach in a lot of ways. But I wasn't directly supervising, so my, my influence was slightly limited because of that. Um, and long story short, I felt like they had a lot of potential but weren't necessarily given the right tools or, or we didn't invest enough in that individual before we called it quits mm. and felt like we needed to part ways. And I remember feeling so helpless at that point and that I, like I didn't have any control over that individual's fate and feeling like we could have done some things differently. So having the conversation with my advisor, reflecting back on that idea, the, the topic of HR comes into my life. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a natural. It sounds like your whole <laughs> life has been pointing you right in this world. In early childhood so. development, you're working in human resources. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I started to think, okay, so this is now 2005. The economy's not doing so well. You know, HR is a super, super hard field to, to get into, and I'm sending gazillions <laughs> of resumes every single day. You know, and, and if you're not a great recruiter, sometimes the skills or transferable skills or experiences don't necessarily jump out out of a resume. Mm -hmm. So unless you, I had HR somewhere in my resume, the likelihood of me landing an HR job were going to be pretty hard. And boy, were they pretty hard. So I remember I ended up having to make a tough decision. I came across a unpaid internship, and it was for an HR assistant for a nonprofit in the Boston area. And, you know, I sent in my resume. I didn't hear back from them. So I gently pushed myself a little bit more until I finally was able to talk to someone there. And the first question they asked, why would you leave your paying job? <laughs> to come and work for HR. So it was the first time that I had to actually articulate why HR. And I remember I had to pause for a second and say, okay, but then it came out naturally. Listen, I think HR is a field of people and customers are the people. And I wanna have an opportunity, and I don't know exactly what an HR I wanna do, but I just wanna have an opportunity to influence someone or some things or an organization in the way that I think things need to happen. And I like an opportunity and I'm living with my parents, so don't worry about me leaving my unpaid, <laughs> my paid job rather for an unpaid internship. I just wanna get my foot through the door. So sure enough, you know, I was hired and I did that for a few months before I transitioned to work for a staffing agency. So I said, okay, let's see recruiting. Maybe that's a piece of HR that I like to do. And I loved it. And who knew I could sell? <laughs> I was selling. I was placing people. I was really, really successful. But there was a gap. There was something missing about that type of HR. And, and while it gave me such an amazing window into the different organizations, different industries, really working with people and aligning skill sets to the jobs that I was hiring for, it was also really hard to get a call from a client and say, you know what, I don't want you to send me John anymore. Can you just send me someone else? And it would be like, mm. uh, effective when? Well, tomorrow. Mm. Okay, well, help me understand what's happening with John. Uh, but they're just not working out, so please send me someone else. Ultimately, the client can do that, right? But right. for me, it was so hard because although, yes, there was a big sales component into my job, I had to make the call for John mm -hmm. and say, John, they no longer want you to come back to this organization and basically have no reasons to right. give him. The personal and professional side of me just felt like that was wrong. You know, I was there for a little bit over a year before I came across um, a different role for another nonprofit as a generalist. And it was also, you know, going back to the early care, the early childhood education field where it was supporting centers. 
different childcare centers. And I felt like, okay, I am home now, you know, because I had an opportunity to really heavy on employee relations, but also an opportunity to work proactively with the staff. I wasn't there very long, actually, before I came to work for Bright Horizons. Oh. You know, I, I, and I often feel bad for that organization because I didn't stay too long. But my one of my coworkers at that time, you know, had really outgrown her role and was very openly looking for a job. And she came across, you know, this role at Bright Horizons and said, you have to go work there. They sound really warm and fuzzy. It's all about you. <laughs> and at first I was like slightly offended because I was like, well, wait a minute. What's wrong with warm and fuzzy? <laughs> and also, well, I just got here. Why do you want me to go? But, you know, I got curious and I hadn't actually heard of the organization before and I think especially back then in the early 2000s we were mainly known for child care so you know unless you were a parent or unless you were a client that we were serving the likelihood of you knowing what Bright Horizons mm. was could be small mm. but I started to read a little bit about the organization and, and to my surprise just found how big of an organization it was and everything that they had done in the early care field and you know the other thing that struck me that was really something that resonated with me was the work that was done around the diversity and inclusion space. And I remember it caught my attention because at the nonprofit where I was currently, we had just started this quote unquote program for diversity and inclusion. And I remember chuckling that we called it a program and reading how Bright Horizons had woven that language into just their everyday talk. It, it was just. A box no, checking no, thing, right? No, it certainly of, didn't seem yeah, that way, you yeah. know, as I read it. And so I was intrigued, you know, that the roll call for someone who spoke Spanish fluently, um, who would be willing to travel. We have a center, one center in Puerto Rico. So it, it, it was exciting, you know, very early in my 20s. I thought, oh my gosh, absolutely, I can do this. And I'll be there for a year <laughs> and see what happens. You know, why not? You know, 11 years later. Yeah, and exactly. I remember after... We always chuckle at our, our interview process after the 10th person that I met, uh, which was, I'm exaggerating, the, fifth, people, the yeah. fifth person that I met, which was Dan Henry, who was the current um, CHRO at that time. I remember sitting across from him and saying, listen, whatever you're selling sounds really, really good. I have been through five interviews. I think I'm ready to have this job already. <laughs> And I remember leaving then thinking, oh, my God, I should not have said that to them. But it was so true. I mean, at that point, I was sold. I wanted to be, you know, part of this organization that clearly was just not talking the talk, but they were also walking the walk. And That's I've had great. a lot of successes, you know, while, while I've been here. But That's a great career story, how you got here. Thank That's you. That's awesome. Why don't you tell a little, a little bit about the organization? Absolutely. So we were founded in the late 80s by um, Roger Brown and Linda Mason. And they were individuals, or are individuals, I should say, that were so passionate around what early childhood education should really mean. So, you know, not just a daycare or not just, you know, a place where the children can come and hang out, but where we would really provide thoughtful curriculum the way we would help their children develop and strive and you know they started very small our first center was in Kendall Square in Cambridge the foundation of the company really relies on providing child care that's quality top quality and they not only are worrying or were worried about what we were outputting in terms of our child care centers but they were also certainly aware of what needs to happen internally for our employees as well so they really founded this culture where people should come and be their whole selves 
and you know it's a phrase that you hear from the minute that you are in the recruiting process all the way up to when you become an employee here we really want employees to be who they are outside of work maybe a little bit more polished when they get here but certainly the same person nonetheless you know there's no such thing as leave your problems at home and come in and ready to work we really want you to come in and be your whole self and allow managers to be supportive to our employees as well so we've grown immensely so I started back in 07 so again our main bread and butter was child care but we've grown to provide really an array of family solutions to really support families at every critical stage of their lives. So not only when they have small children like myself right now, so I've come full circle, mm-hmm. you know, started so you're as an employee. employee. and I, uh, a client, customer exactly. of the exactly. services. Exactly, yeah. we're totally double dipping here, so <laughs> yes. Um, you know, but also people who are dealing with elder parents that are not doing so well, so providing care, in-home care for those individuals. You know, essentially what we're wanting to do for our clients, so we have both client-based centers, but we also have community-based centers. And for our client centers, we want to have a benefit that they can offer their employees that essentially enables them to be at work to be present and to have solutions in these areas that could otherwise prevent them from being at work and really being as effective and as successful as they possibly can be. Mm. Um, You also mentioned something, Bright Spaces. I think it's a foundation work that you have here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. our Bright Horizons Foundation for Children is, is the or, or the nonprofit branch of the organization that we work really closely with. And it's an organization that really relies on donors and relies on employees that want to help out to essentially create these child care spaces in areas where otherwise there wouldn't be the right, resources. Right. So whether it's a women's prison. You know, so you think about children visiting their moms in prison and having a bright space, hence the name, you know, that that really doesn't seem like a jail. So you think about the moms or the dads, for that matter, being able to visit with their children in a space like that. So not have it feel so sad and so gray and so cold. Same thing we will do for a homeless shelter. We will put these up there so the children can have a place, you know, to interact and not be you know, bugged down by the reality of why they're there, but rather continue to be children and mm. continue to learn through some of the things that we offer. At well, the your foundation is so connected to what you do every day here, right? Yes. It's, uh, yeah. And it's that's all funded by you, your organization, and donors. And said. donors, yeah. that's correct. Scarlett, maybe now we could shift and talk a little bit about your role sure. here in HR and what you're focused on. Absolutely. So I, I started supporting operations teams, so the operations staff, I should say. So that's out in the centers. We have our teachers and our directors. And then about six years or so, transitioned to supporting just a corporate team. And, you know, although we have the same policies and the same practices across the board for the organization, there was certainly a shift in my style that I had to make. I think that, you know, I also had to start building partnerships from scratch and really earning the trust of those um, business leaders. And that took some time. You mm-hmm. know, I think that for for a while we didn't have the structure that I am proud to say we have today. We certainly didn't have the structure that, you know, in comparison to the field. So it's taken myself and my counterpart to really educate 
and really earn the trust of the business leaders to understand why HR is a good business partner. And thinking about the employee experience and how we're onboarding employees, mm. you know, thinking about how we're retaining really, really good talent, thinking about how intentional we are in the diversity and inclusion space from a sourcing perspective, but also from how we're secessioning and creating an internal pipeline as well. So my job is to keep us honest. My job is to make sure that we are keeping all of these different pieces in mind, understanding that the business is first, we have to meet the business needs, we have business objectives, but helping understand how these pieces that I've just mentioned ultimately are what are gonna help us you know, meet those goals and do that in a way that's effective and do that in a way that is long-term and sustainable. So what is it, Scarlett, about your culture that sets you apart from other organizations? I think it was an easy transition for me to come to Bright Horizons because the culture and you know the values that we've implemented as an organization really resonate with how I choose to live my personal life. What I think is unique about our work environment is that a few years ago, so in the early 2000s, you know, we have our mission and everybody was clear about what our mission was, but our senior leaders at that time thought, okay, great, we have this great mission, but how are we expecting our employees to meet that mission. You know, we feel like there's something missing. You know, we, we need to sort of come together and create some guiding principles, if you will. And what I love about the way that we went about that is that we literally had a diverse cross-functional group from folks in operations to folks that worked in our corporate group create what we learned to call the heart principles. And the heart principles certainly allow us to work with heart if you will, but it's an acronym that holds a lot of values. So it stands for honesty, excellence, accountability, respect, and teamwork. And it allows us to have common language for how we're each expected to interact with one another. It is embedded not only in our culture, but it's something that we hold ourselves accountable with from a job performance perspective, where we have it as a competency in our job performance appraisal process that happens on an annual basis. And it just allows everybody to sort of be on the same page. Um, you will often hear people in, refer to the heart principles as part of their conversations. You know, in the spirit of the heart principles, I want to just let you know how that made me feel. <laughs> I love how creative some of our employees can get in using the heart principles, you know, quote unquote against us. But, you know, all jokes aside, for the most part, it just really allows us just, again, we're on the same page. This is how we all need to be interacting, not just internally, but, you know, outwardly facing, which is huge. You know, we, we serve a lot of clients. We serve a lot of families. So we want to make sure, again, that we're walking the walk. So you're in the business of serving people and you're doing that internally. We're in the business of people. In business you know, of people. business of people. Stephen Kramer right. has said this before and it really resonated with me as a company. We're in the business of people. When you think about everything that we do and everything that we provide, we do it for individuals, we do it for families, and we do it for them at times that they are in the most need. That's great. In fact, so, maybe we should shift and talk a little bit about NERA now because you um, started an initiative. You're the, yeah. the lead yeah. at something new called NERA YP or NERA Young Professionals. Yes. Uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what that is. Absolutely. It was really a mission for NERA to attract more young talent into the field, but also into the NERA to really understand how they can leverage NERA for their professional needs. But I've had the pleasure to be on the board with such distinguished people and to really hear the why. Why was this important to have young professionals you know, be, be more of a part of NERA? And I have the pleasure of working with a great subgroup, you know, as an advisory board that mm -hmm. really has dedicated their time and resources to understanding 
if I'm a young professional, what is going to attract me to come to NERA? What, what's in it for me? What does NERA have to offer that is essentially going to help me do this? And, you know, we've brainstormed, you know, on the mission, and we really want to attract individuals. We want to provide a sense of community for young professionals. Um, you know, there's a lot and of... And you've already had a couple of events. We've had a couple of very successful events, and some of the feedback that we've heard is that people, particularly young professionals in the HR field, have been wanting a platform like this for a really long time, because although there's definitely different networking groups out there, there hasn't been one specifically for young professionals in the HR field. So we had a, a more lighthearted social, which was our first one, and then we had one that was specific to networking, and both times the feedback has been really great. So we're hoping that we're providing this sense of community for these individuals, but also an opportunity for some education and some reframing, if you will, with some of the curriculum that's offered through NERA, you know, to really have that young professional voice in mind. And that's what I'm hoping I'm helping do while being a member of the board. And for people listening that might be wondering, am I in the right demographic for mm -hmm. YP? How would you describe what a, a you know, the strike zone is yeah, there. I'm sure there's some gray area, but what would you, Dad. who's right for YP, for people that are listening? You know, definitely someone that early in their career, maybe eight years in their career, you know, after, so eight years out of college, you know, eight years of experience within their career. Plus you or know, minus, whatever. Plus yeah. or minus, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, we look at your typical millennials, so someone right. born, you know, between 81 and, and what have you. Okay. So, you know, that will be the population. I, th I don't, we've we haven't turned anybody away. <laughs> you will be happy to know nobody's been turned away. But I think as people hear what our target audience is and therefore curriculum, if you will, or the sessions that we offer really gear towards those people at that stage in their career, then it tends to flush out people that are, you know, much more further within their career. It's been a great experience. I mean, I think that what this platform is going to also allow us to do is to provide much needed education. I mean, when you think about what the workforce is going to look like in a few years. Well, the millennials are are hitting strong, mm -hmm. you know, and they will certainly compose most of the work population. So it, it's on us as employers and as organizations to really understand the things that drive us, you know, to really understand what's myths and what's truth about the millennials, because ultimately I think that that goes right into the type of support that we give to them as employees as mm -hmm. well. You know, I think, again, going back to the DNI space, we really have to look at the different generations and understand and how each of us learn. Well, we have a nearer question of yes. the podcast. Well, we're changing that now. Yes. Scarlett and I, <laughs> right here, you're hearing, we've yeah. decided to change it so that members of the nearer YP group mm -hmm. will be now submitting the questions that we ask our guests. Great. So Great. we actually have one from Excellent. one of our new members of Nero YP. In fact, I think he helps lead. He's one of the subcommittees. That's it's correct. Mark Asante yeah. from Medtronic. That's correct. Director of HR at Medtronics, but he is actually the co-chair of the YP advisory group. So okay. he does that in conjunction or in partnership, I should say, with um, Farrell Murphy. Okay, great. So we'll be getting questions from Mark and his uh, YP yeah. colleagues yeah. as the podcast rolls on. And here's the question for you. All right. So what was your breakthrough moment in your HR career? Obviously, I've talked about a lot of my experiences, even as young as nine years old, that sort of pointed me to HR being the career that I wanted to be. And in thinking about that question now, Dave, I think about a breakthrough experience that has led me into playing a bigger role in the DNI space, if I could share that with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've been very lucky, very fortunate throughout my whole life to feel like 
you know, I, I am appreciated and valued for the things that I, that I bring to the table. Um, and, you know, I never felt like my skin tone or where I was from or, or the occasional accent that you might hear because of my Hispanic heritage has ever been a problem. So knock on wood, I, you know, I think that that could be different for some folks. But in my early 30s, I certainly had an experience that, you know, certainly shaped the way that I saw things even further. And I remember being at um, Target with my nieces. I didn't have children at that time. And my nieces are biracial, so they're actually much darker than I am. And um, I don't know if you you know Target, so you know they have that bargain section where oh, yeah. when you first walk yeah. in. So it was the middle of winter, and you know the two of them said, oh, you know, we want to get some gloves and hats. And I said, oh, okay, you know, let's go match them up. And of course, it's the bargain section, so it's a mess. You know, there's <laughs> gloves everywhere, there's hats everywhere. So the onus was on us to match these things, you know, as, as much as we possibly can. And um, my youngest niece then was three, so she was sitting in the cart. And then, um, you know, my other niece was 13 at that time. Um, and I think she might have been a little bit younger. So we had been spending a lot of time there, and I remember we were matching them up, and then my younger niece would then throw them off the cart. So we were like, oh, my gosh, so we would get up and try to match them again. And we were having a blast. Uh, and I was wearing, you know, a sweater. I, I wasn't dressed the way that I'm dressed right now. I was wearing a sweater. I was wearing Uggs, just very casual. And I remember this this lady walk up to me, this Caucasian lady, and she was with her. I want to say he was 14 years old. Um, so it's interesting because I actually haven't shared this story with a lot of people. But she looked at me and said, I know what you're doing. And it's so inappropriate. And I had same reaction to to the face that you're giving me now, Dave, I thought, I, I was actually still smiling. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Why? Because we were like laughing. Well, we know what you're doing. You're stealing. And I thought, oh, ma'am, no, absolutely not. You know, that's definitely not why I'm doing. And her son looking at me with this disgust look in his face and in fact said, you are disgusting. How dare you? And you're with your daughters and you're disgusting. And, you know, I, 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 I could still transport myself back to that moment because I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, my nieces are there. So careful, Scarlett, you know, but how do I manage this in a way that, you know, is appropriate? And I hope they're not really listening to what's happening. And all I limit myself to say was, you know, ma'am, I think you have it all wrong. This is not what's happening here. My nieces and I are having a great time matching gloves. And they walked away. But I remember the feeling that it gave me where I felt the need to find the closest security guard at Target and said, oh my gosh, this woman just accused me of X, Y, and Z. I promise you that's not what's happening here. I go into, I'm with my nieces. And, you know, and he was young. I, he, you know, he was probably the security guard. Yeah, a young yeah. professional himself. Yeah. And, you know, clearly I'm upset about all this, but he just limited himself to jokingly say, well, then just make sure you're not really stealing something. <laughs> and I thought, well, thanks. Huh. That's definitely not what I was okay. looking for. No. But I <laughs> I'll take that. You know, and I remember leaving there and thinking, I, I just felt, it, it's hard to describe what yeah. I felt. And I remember thinking, I have to call a Caucasian person. <laughs> and I remember calling my coworker, you know, at that point, and, and say, I felt like I needed to talk to someone that knew me, mm. someone that knew what I did for a living, someone that knew, you know, the integrity, you know, and, uh, of a person. Right. And, you know, to say, hey, this just happened to me. And I was really, really upset. And I remember her saying, you have nothing to worry about. You can't let this, you know, moment yeah. define you. And I remember talking to my mom about it. I remember talking to Dan Henry about it. I remember talking to my boss at that 
time, Melissa Spazzato about right. it because it really impacted me because I had never been in a situation where I felt treated differently because of how I looked. But I had to make a decision. So, you know, you, you sort of fi find yourself in these crossroads um, at times and you have a decision. You can either do something positive with it Mm -hmm. or you could continue to be really angry and maybe not be so positive. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm in the business of HR. I'm in the business of the diversity and inclusion space. How can I turn this around? So it was being aware, but it was really being intentional about how I was going to let that affect sort of how I moved forward. And my thought was, you know what? I am going to do more in the space. And, mm -hmm. and that's my goal. I intend to do a lot more in the DNI space because I now have even more empathy for people who perhaps have been treated differently mm -hmm. for whatever reason because of any differences that they show. Mm -hmm. And I, I put the responsibility of my on myself to now help those individuals turn that into something positive and help others sort of navigate through something like that, which could be a really tough experience. Mm, that's a powerful story. Thanks for sharing mm -hmm. that. All right. Shifting to another question I ask yeah. on the podcast. If you could write a letter of career advice to your 22-year-old self, what would you write? When you're in your early 20s and you're just starting your career, whatever that might be, or, or starting in the workforce or your first corporate job, because you haven't had those experiences, you lack confidence, you know, and mm. I think that with that lack of confidence, you can almost not let your voice be heard. I think if I look back and when I think about young professionals now, we, we have quite a few in our department, so I take it upon myself to share this as well as I would say, let your voice be heard. I think that, you know, particularly in these times, people want to hear what young professionals have to say. People want to hear your thoughts and perspective because we're bringing in a fresh, you know, perspective into whatever the conversation might be and, and find the confidence that we're not going to have all the answers, but unless we ask the questions. We're not going to have all the answers. Right. So, you know, certainly letting your voice be heard will be, Chime in. Will all right. be the big one. That's Chime good. In. Exactly. And a little couple lighter questions here. Yeah. What kind of music does Scarlett listen to? I have a diverse taste in music as well. So, you know, I listen culturally from merengue to bachata. But, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit of a geek. So I gravitate <laughs> to songs that actually have a lot of meaning. So these days I, I love Journey. Um, so much so that I almost named my daughter Milan Journey, uh -huh. but my husband would not have that. <laughs> but um, I love Journey, so don't stop believing. Mm. You know, it's a huge one. I mean, the words resonate. It gets me pumped up. I run on the treadmill to it. I <laughs> sing to it in the car. And in fact, if you go to my, my office, I just say there's a little post-it on there that says, don't stop <laughs> believing, along with other things, you know, like recharge, re-energize, you know, mm. things that I like to sort of say to myself. But yeah, Journey's, Journey's, Journey's a big a, one. Yeah. And I love Bon Jovi, too, actually. Speaking of energy and recharging, yeah. what, what gives you energy besides Bon Jovi and Journey? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know a lot of people wouldn't say this, but I'm really energized by change. You know, whether that is in my personal life, but definitely in my professional life. So when I think about where we're heading now, you know, in the HR field and, and how involved I plan to get, you know, more in the DNI space, I'm energized by that. Something different, something new. So a new opportunity to do something better. That definitely, definitely drives me. And of course, in my personal life is my day, my family, my children, my right. husband. Well, yeah. it's been great having you as a Thank guest you. on the podcast. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Thank it's you so fun. much. Thanks for all your stories. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.